0: Hey, everybody, Ryan Molly here, and you are not going to want to miss this episode. I have an amazing individual. He's super cool, super fun, super athletic, and super successful. Entrepreneur, very young, but I will tell you, um, I'm super impressed with everything that he's done with himself, both professionally and personally. He has a great head on his shoulders, comes from a great family. Italian immigrants, I can feel for that myself. Anthony Santoro, so he is the owner-operator of the Bomb Shelter, which is an indoor baseball training facility here in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, if your kids you know, play baseball, softball, anything like that, you're definitely going to want to get on his schedule to at least come in, check it out. But if nothing else, hear his story, hear his passion, and how he treats all of his clients and how he approaches life on a day-to-day basis. It's a great story. It's a great just passion that he shares and that i share um and we're definitely looking forward to sharing his story and and just that banter back and forth between himself and myself and again you're always going to watch the sawbones challenge at the end so stay tuned we'll catch up with you soon have a great day
1: I'm me all about it, Doc.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hey, Sawbones, my story, my passion. I'm Dr. Ryan Molly, your host, cutter of bones, orthopedic surgeon, um, entrepreneur, business owner, most importantly, loving husband, father of three very, very, very busy boys uh, that keep me on my toes and... I'm so excited to uh, record this episode and share this host with you or or this guest with you this evening. Um, He is a uh, a up-and-coming legend here in the Erie, Pennsylvania area. Um, We got another baseball episode for you guys out there. So uh, one that just aired literally earlier today was uh, Joe Spano, the head Mercier's baseball coach from Mercier's University. And we've got another great one tonight. So um, this guy has a tremendous track record. Uh, very entrepreneurial at a very young age. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him, both personally and professionally. And um, I'm really looking forward to getting to know him better. Um, you know, just kind of what makes him um, energized and gets him going every day and, and just sharing kind of the back and forth camaraderie that we do. So without further ado, I'd like to uh, introduce and welcome Mr. Anthony Santoro. Thank you for What's having up, buddy? me. How I are you? I appreciate it. Yeah. Welcome aboard. So, Thank
2: you. I'm excited.
0: As we kind of always start these out, I like to hear a little bit about you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know a little bit about you. You're, you're from the Syracuse area, right? You went to high school in Syracuse. You then went to Canisius. I think you were there for a year playing playing mm-hmm. ball. Um, then went to was it Monroe yep. Community College for a couple yep. years from 2013 ish to yep. 16. Yep. And then uh, transferred <laughs> to Youngstown State. Yep. finished up playing there. You played there from thirteen to, or I'm um, sixteen to eighteen. Yep, and then um, you had a a, a short run at, as a, like, a, hey, do you really want to be a collegiate coach? Um, and then to Mercyhurst. Yeah, and then and then the bomb shelter, which we'll get into some of those details. But
2: mm-hmm.
0: tell us about like where you came from, kind of your roots, who, yeah. who influenced you, and brought you to where you are today.
2: Yeah, so. Um, I'm from the inner city of Syracuse, so you know baseball wasn't always the most popular sport. A lot of my buddies played or a lot not so much buddies, but a lot of the guys that I was around that were in the neighborhood played football and basketball and things of that nature. and baseball was introduced to me at a very early age uh, by my father who never really played a ton of sports growing up. Um, he came from an immigrant family. Uh, they came over from Sicily. Um, so, we, uh, like I said, were just introduced to baseball very early, immediately fell in love with it from T-ball all the way until literally about a half hour ago. Um, you know, so, I mean, baseball has been a huge part of my life. My family has been a huge part of my life. Um, you know, I anything that I have to this day, I credit to ultimately my grandparents who came over here with literally nothing um, just for work, you know, came here to, you know, from Sicily and. Uh, the 50s, just literally to find a job, to find something, you know, to do. Um, And, uh, you know, just any bit of hard work or, you know, anything that I have in in my body comes, you know, originally, you know, from them. Um, Obviously, my parents, you know, things of that nature. But those two people, those two individuals I look up to, you know, they're not with us anymore, but I look up to them every single day, you know. So, um, but yeah, from Syracuse. um, And then, you know, Literally bounced, I always like to joke, I bounced up and down the thruway, I-90. Spent time in Syracuse, obviously, Rochester at Monroe Community College, uh, Buffalo at Canisius. um, Made my way to Youngstown State University, finished up there. um, And then all roads lead back to Erie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I I can say the same thing with myself, Mm. because all roads do end up leading back to Erie. And it's kind of amazing that um, I was able to get my wife to come here from mm-hmm. Metro Detroit so um, your, your dad was he born here or was he born in Sicily
2: my dad was born here um, my dad was born here but uh, you know like I said sports have always been a big part of his life but um, it wasn't necessarily that he wasn't allowed to play sports or anything along those lines it was just it was known at a very early age that you know you were gonna work you know you were gonna work and there was money that needed to be made and you know you're gonna you know you're going to provide for what is going to be your family down the road. And, um, yeah, so, but yeah, he was born here. Um, but, uh, yeah,
0: you're a young guy. I mean, we're, we're quite a few decades apart. Um, <laughs> h- how old are you?
2: I just turned 28 yesterday.
0: <laughs> okay, Happy belated birthday too. you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so,
2: um,
0: but that being said, your, your, your parents, how old are they?
2: Uh, my dad is 58 and my mom is 57. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's not that much older than me. That's yeah. like you know, 13, 14 <laughs> yeah. years older than me. But um, a little bit of a generational gap there. But you, you said your grandparents came over in like the 1950s. Mm-hmm. So right after World War II. Yep. And I would imagine they came in. Did they come in through Ellis Island? Or? They sure did. And yep. then they settled in the Syracuse area or how did that work out?
2: Yeah. Settled in the Syracuse area. Um, Initially, my grandfather came over and you know, basically recruited his brothers to come over who ended up having a, a bakery. My grandfather worked at, um, my grandfather worked at a casket company for years. I couldn't tell you how many years, um, literally made such an impact on this casket company that at his funeral this past year, the owner of the casket company came over to our family and said, look, you know, your grandfather would literally shine caskets until he could see his face in them. You know, so it obviously doesn't get more blue collar than that. Um, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, they came over and it, honestly, everything has just always been about work, you know, and it's never, you know, as much as we have always associated, you know, our lives with work, but it's never always been about money. It was never like that. It was just, you work and your family is your family and you, you take care of You them. provide. That's it. Right. That's it.
0: And I think that's probably one of the things that really kind of like drew me towards you mm-hmm. is, um, I, I think of myself and my parents and my grandfather and my grandmother um, on both sides as having tremendous work ethic and yeah. almost insatiable that was passed down to my parents and then ultimately to my sisters and myself. And I see the same characteristics and qualities in yourself. And to me, it's it's one of those things, and I don't bash like generations, but like it's pretty rare for someone your age to uh, be as successful as early on as you in an entrepreneurial field and, and kudos to you. Cause, um, I, I, I honestly think I can feel it. It's coming from your parents and from your grandparents influence that it just, you've got that hunger, you've got that drive.
2: Yeah. They've never, it it was always like, I feel like growing up, it was always, you know, we're going to play it. Like we're going to work on nine to fives. We're going to play it safe because when we came here, the nine to five was plenty. You know what I mean? The nine to five was plenty You know, we could raise the, we could raise the family off the garden in the backyard. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then, you know, as I saw them, you know, as I'm seeing them and as I'm growing up, I'm like, yeah, the nine to five is amazing. We had an amazing childhood. We never went without, you know what I mean? But nobody ever made a million dollars, you know, by any means. Yeah. But we had what we needed. We had our family, you know, which was huge for us. And, you know, sometimes with family, it goes unappreciated at times. You argue, you bicker, you know, things of that nature. But, um... I mean, it was never, I never in a million years thought, number one, that I would leave Syracuse to go to school, which I did. Was my grandmother, I think she probably, God rest her soul, hates me for still to this day. <laughs> um, that was probably, I, I actually think I remember her calling me stupid for leaving to go to school because she thought that you just immediately needed to go to work, right? Um, you know, but never in a million years that I think that I would end up having a business or being in business on my own or, you know, doing anything along those lines. But I don't think they realized they installed that in me and our, our entire family, you know, uh, at such an early age.
0: How many siblings in your family?
2: So I have three other siblings. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So I know you, I've met Nick. <clears throat> yep. Who else am I missing?
2: There's twins, Dominic and Francesca. They're 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah.
0: So, and Nick is number two.
2: Nick's number two. Yep. Gotcha. Nick is number two.
0: So, you know the other thing I always ask my guests are, um, and and we were chatting about this a little bit before we started, but like, do you remember the first time that we met?
2: Honestly, not. I, I feel like it had to have been through a baseball related experience, whether it be It's probably my wife, Steelheads, Pro- Ball Shelter, probably
0: introduced us. Like,
2: probably, yeah, probably because
0: right? she does all the 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 dirty work, the leg work to get. I think that it had the to be signed through, up for stuff. Yeah,
2: it had to be through. Uh, private training with the boys at the bomb shelter. I think
0: that actually was, uh, yeah. you know, before you had bomb shelter two is the new mm-hmm. one, right? Yep. Um, She was like, Hey, I, I really want you to meet this young guy. He's very entrepreneurial. I, that is what it was. Cause she yeah. was just like, I'd like, I, I, I talk about you and Travis to him. And I think that you guys would really hit yeah. it off. And, and I was like, who's this young 20 some year old? Like, uh, I- <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, that's definitely what it was. We, we had the boys in and, and, Karen was like unbelievable. And even though you guys had, you guys had been here and I'd been here too. Um, Karen was like, you know, you should use this for this or you should use this for that. She's very, she's she just, really good with that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. So that was, that was a huge help. And then just the whole networking tool. Like one of the biggest things for me in life is networking. I yeah. will sit down and talk to anybody, anybody else that listens to this, and knows me will know that I will talk to somebody that is as young as kids that I train or somebody at the gym in the morning time that's 80 years old. You know, I'm, I'm willing to pick anybody's brain. I think everybody, everybody brings value to the table in terms of what, and you learn everything. I mean, I, I train some kids as young as seven or eight years old and you learn, whether it be a new drill or something along those lines that you come up with, with little guys or, you know, a 75 year old guy who's at the gym and he's telling you, this you need to do this this and this to be successful whatever the case might be everybody you know has something to offer
0: so, something to add something some value add and um, the fact that you're willing to have those conversations just demonstrates your passion yeah for, for what you do and always. and kind of like the business that you've created and who you are
2: always you're, you're just you're never too good to talk to anybody and you never one of the quotes that I would always be like okay dad okay dad was you never know who's watching right That was one of the, it's a corny quote that I'm sure that everybody has heard, but like I literally, to this day, he's going to laugh when he hears this, but I think about that all the time. Like you really never know who you're talking to. You never know who's listening. You never know who's watching. You never know who you're associating yourself with. And, um, that's something that sticks with me every single day. It may sound cheesy, but it's so true. It
0: it doesn't sound cheesy to me at all. Um, anytime that I'm ready to make a decision in my life, whether it's a simple decision, or whether it's a, a a risky decision, I always think about like my grandparents and yeah. like what would they be proud of this decision? And right. you know, we've all made many 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 failures. And I'm the first to admit I I've, I've made hundreds if not thousands of failures in my life. Sure. Um but every time that I make that decision, I always kind of reflect on like hey, would my grandma and my grandpa and my parents would they approve of this? And sometimes no. They they right. wouldn't, but then you learn from that. And you decide like, hey, I'm not going to do that again, right? right. Or I'm going to shift gears and change and 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 modify. But like that's the beauty of life is like you live, you learn, and you get better and you get stronger right. from each of those decisions.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that quote is just, it, it can go in so many different directions. Like I said, you never know who's watching, you never know who's listening, anything along those lines. But ultimately to me, after thinking about it every single day, because it was branded in my head after every baseball game I've ever played or any... You know, whatever sport that I might have been playing was, you know, there's, there's just so many things that can come from that, and um, I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's one of those things that's always stuck with me. And like I said, I don't think that entrepreneurship or owning a business or you know doing anything along these lines was ever anything that anybody in our family was trying to install in us as we grew up. But I don't think, you know, just the passion that they had, and you know, coming over here. It's almost like you are an entrepreneur. You leave a country to go to another country just for work. Yeah. And at the time you're talking pennies.
0: Inherently entrepreneurial. Exactly. It it's may not be what you and I would uh classically describe as like hey, started a business, started this, but the risk that they took was so like, much bigger. You know my grandfather coming my over gosh. never seeing his parents again, only seeing his brother again when he came yeah. over 15, 20 years later, but right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, props to them. They they were trying to make a better life, not only for themselves but for their families.
2: Yeah, to me, that exactly what you just said is so much bigger than saying or it's somebody coming to you and saying, "Hey, I want fifty thousand dollars for ten percent equity." Fifty thousand dollars is nothing compared to picking up everything that you've ever known for your entire life in a completely different country and coming. up. I mean, we you know what we do as entrepreneurs, yes, is to benefit us, you know, monetarily, but. What they did is unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbel- I think about it every single day. I have a picture of my grandfather working on a casket next to my bed on my nightstand. Then I have another picture. Little, that's
0: a little morbid, but um.
2: <laughs> it's un- <laughs> It is. It's unbelievable. And then the other picture that I have is a perfect attendance award of his that was given to him by the company. Um, that and you look at something like that, and again, it sounds corny, but when you when you saw that man every single day, what he was willing to do. And, you, you know, you wake up in the morning, and you're like, oh, man, I got to go train these kids for a living.
0: Yeah. And I he's, mean, he's, he's making caskets.
2: That's what I'm saying. You know, and this, you're like, oh, I got to go train kids for a living. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Well, it could be worse. You could have to go and clean some, clean a casket for somebody. to die. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's unbelievable. Just the little stuff like that. You just don't, you know, I think about it all the time. I don't necessarily always come out and talk to people about it all the time. Um, but.
0: Well, I can yeah. tell you. I've already learned so much mm-hmm. just in this first little segment. So, yeah. you know, we always, at this point, we kind of do a beverage break. So mm-hmm. we, we did it a little differently today because we we kind of broke tradition. We actually came out of the gates with beverages. So for the viewers <laughs> out there, it's a little later than normal. So I'm off this week. I'm on vacation. <laughs> um, I'm normally in bed by like 8, 30, 9 o'clock at the latest.
2: Opposite schedules.
0: A- Anthony was at the bomb shelter training kids until 10 p.m. tonight. He didn't get here until probably 10, 20-ish. Yeah. Um, I'm usually two or three hours into <laughs> REM sleep at this point. And, you know, n- the fact that I'll have to work tomorrow, I'll have surgery tomorrow, Like, and we, we don't get this opportunity to connect. Like, we've been trying for a couple weeks to get you on. Right. Um, so I'm glad you came over. I'm glad we're up late. But we started out of the gates with a cocktail. So we didn't we did. have to wait. We so so salute. Very good. salut. So we're going to shift gears, all right? We're going to go into the Q&A session. So what we're going to do is you're going to ask me six questions, Mm -hmm. three business and then three personal, okay? Well, then roll reverse, I'll ask you three business, three personal. Good news is that you can veto one of those questions if you don't like it. Okay. I wouldn't call it bad news, but I'll just give you the facts. This is episode eight or nine. And not one person has vetoed one question yet. So no pressure. No, I think we'll be okay. So fire away. Do, but do business first. I,
2: I said that I I told you that I wouldn't use my phone. But these questions, I thought these questions through. I wanna open up. I wanna take a look at these. He's, I wanna show you. He's so the reading, business he's questions. Reading,
0: he's reading the questions off his phone. He's yeah. cheating.
2: Um so the first business question I have is how do you stay on top of the so as somebody who, as everybody already knows, or not already knows, but a lot of people know that watch us and know you, they know you as, um, you know, somebody who is not only an orthopedic surgeon, but someone who is also an entrepreneur and has a couple different things going on. How do you stay on top of the different medical trends, you know, while being an entrepreneur and, you know, while doing all these different things and things of that nature?
0: So um, I think first and foremost, I'm very, very proud of being a lifelong student. Mm -hmm. Um, I joke all the time that I say, hey, I'm an educator first and foremost. My father was a teacher in Meadville for 31 years. My three older sisters are all teachers to some capacity. My wife, Karen, who you know is a teacher. My aunts were teachers. My uncles were teachers. So I'm first and foremost a teacher, but I'm also a very avid student. So I'm constantly going to courses. I'm constantly reading journals uh, every single month. And I'm staying on top of like, what's the latest and greatest, right? right? I never want to be the first guy doing anything, but I also don't want to ever be the last guy doing anything either, right. right? So I'm I'm usually maybe the third or fourth guy doing something. Like I'm a very early adopter of whether it's surgical techniques or this or that, but I got to make sure that it's tried and true and proven. Right. But I'm definitely not like the last yeah. couple guys doing it. Like I'm if, if something is not working i'm I'm making sure that I'm getting off right. that ship,
2: yeah, that's neat because I always find myself, you know, as you know, I have my hands in a couple of different things, and um, you know I'm always I, I always feel spread thin, but I always you know I tell myself like it it, it always could be worse, right? So it's mm-hmm. okay to be spread you know spread thin sometimes. So I always wonder how other successful entrepreneurs or other successful business owners or just even if you're not a business owner, somebody that has their hands in a couple of different things, how you stay, you know how you continue to have the ability to you know balance yeah to me it's like prioritizing
0: right Right. so you you like i'm not a it's funny i have these flashbacks of different people sitting in this seat Mm -hmm. and immediately when you said that brandy sheets who was my right hand go-to person for many many years at whole health um and i really really respect her for her Um, ability to multitask and I said I'm not a good multitasker she goes I disagree you're doing so many different things I was like yeah I've got a lot of projects that I'm working on simultaneously but I only work and yes they're all going on simultaneously but when I'm working on one whether it's surgery I'm 100% focused on that and then when I'm working on this project which may be an hour later I'm 100% focused on that project so I don't have the ability to like give different projects my energy at the same time. Right. Which to me means simultaneous, but I do have the ability and and I do my best work when I have a lot going on. Right. Kind of like yourself. Like I'm I'm better when I'm busy.
2: Right. Yeah. No doubt. Okay. All right. Number 2 from the phone. What are your biggest see this is it's kind of a loaded question because there's all there's there's so many different things that that can go wrong whether it be you know in well hopefully not but the operating room i mean there is you know Mm -hmm. but what are your biggest fears as a business owner what are your biggest fears as a surgeon what are your biggest fears as somebody who took it upon themselves to go into business for yourself or go into you know private practice or you know things of that nature what are your biggest fears
0: easy easy question uh for me to answer, it's failure and disappointment. Mm-hmm. From day one, when I was a kid, the the biggest fears that kind of drove me to do what I did and how I did it were disappointing my parents, my siblings, yeah. my friends, my grandparents, um, whether it was failure or not doing it exactly. And and that's a tough burden to live with. Yeah. And I would say it is definitely one of the strongest like motivating factors in my life. Right. But it's also it's like a blessing and a curse so yeah. when those occur which they do right let's be honest with one another um if you're not failing you're not trying and if you're not failing you're not trying hard enough right. um and and i try a lot of things and i throw a lot of mud against the ball some of it sticks some of it doesn't but to me um that that fear of failure or disappointing someone whether it's a patient whether it's a colleague whether it's a staff member, one of my employees, my wife, my kids, it is um, gut-wrenching to me. And, um, you know, I've tried to um, kind of rein my expectations in with that, but at the same time I, I do believe that that fear of failure or disappointment is one of the critical factors that has made me so successful because yeah. I put so much time and energy into assuring that i don't fail or, right. or don't disappoint people again it happens it's inevitable especially when you you do um you know patient care and things like that um and, w- and when those things occur i take it very personally and that's honestly um why it's so important to have a good support network around you and, and to me that's karen and that's the boys i, I remember a specific incident several months ago it was the hardest time in my entire professional career with a surgical procedure that I did that, uh, didn't go exactly as planned. And it was the scariest moment of my life in the operating room. Um, one of the scariest moments of my life ever. And I came home and, um, I'm not afraid to admit that I, I wept like a baby in front of Karen, in front of the boys. And it was one of the most powerful, um, moments of my entire career and in my life. And it, and it really helped me to grow personally, professionally, um, it was a great moment that I didn't think at the time, but like my boys, I was like, gosh, I can't cry in front of them. I got to be tough. I got to be this. I got to be that. And they were so respectful and so mature that they, they like realized my pain at that moment. Right. And that, um, I was doing my very best and, and my very best wasn't good enough at that point. And, And they were very kind. They were very gentle. They were very loving. And, um you know they kind of brought me through it so yeah. it was just one of those things that like you look back on and you're like at the time it was it, it was horrible right but but looking back on it, it was probably one of the most um like real genuine authentic moments of my professional career yeah and my career as a father with them because right. they got to see me being vulnerable and being very sensitive sure. and and just real
2: right that's As I was typing that question on my phone, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to ask? What am I going to say? You know, whatever, you know, I'm answering these questions in my own head. I'm asking myself these questions and that's exactly what I would, that's exactly what I would, and I think that's any entrepreneur or anybody that has, you know, that solid support group or, you know, something to fall back on when they go home or, you know, what have you. I think it's funny that we say that though, because as entrepreneurs, it's in like you said, it's inevitable. You're going to fail as coaches. You're going to fail. I mean, we're going, you know. This time of year, you know, we're going through tryouts for, you know, different, you know, teams and different things of that nature for, you know, some different families and, you know, what have you. And uh, not so much different families, but, you know, families may be going to different organizations mm-hmm. and, you know, families who left the same organization may be going back and, you know, different things of that nature. And, you know, as I'm sitting, I'm I'm talking to my brother about it. My brother gets very... He gets very attached to the kids that he coaches, which he should. That's how we were raised. That's, you know, you're attached to whatever you're working on at that moment. Right. And um, I said, you know what? I'm thinking in my head, like, there, there is no way that you can possibly keep everybody happy. No, you are always going to fail, whether that be coaching or entrepreneurship or, you know, anything along those lines. So, you know, I, I'm asking you that question already knowing the answer, I guess. Yeah,
0: I mean, and I'm not trying to compare what I do to what you, you and your brother yeah. do, but like it, I have yeah, I have a lot of patients, but like I look at each patient as one surgery, one episode, and I have I put all my time and energy into that, and then the next sure. one, same thing, but like you've got, say 12, 13 kids on a team. You've got personalities you have to deal with. You have parents that you personalities that you have to deal with you have to try to keep that kid's mental and physical uh emotions in check and and keep them in the game so to speak psychologically and the same with the parents like i i do not envy what you do at all because it it is a (laughs) very 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 challenging job and um you know as parents though and and you'll find this out at some point like You get to that point where you're like, my kid should be playing more. My kid should be this. My kid should be that. Then you sit back and like, whether it's umps, whether it's coaches, whether it's refs, whether it's whatever it may be, teachers, you're like, these guys and girls are doing the absolute best that they can with what they have, like cut them some slack, right? And, 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 and buy into what they're doing because they're doing it with, I'm not saying that all coaches or teachers or this or that are great, but like, I know you. I know your brother, I know your organization and you guys give it everything you have. So yeah, you have our support. uh,
2: It's a, it's a challenge at times because you, you know, you want to say to, you know, people and family when it's really, really easy to criticize whoever's in charge when things are going wrong. Right. Um, You know, but the reality of the whole thing is that, you know, it's, and I don't have kids right now, but as somebody who's, would do anything and is super attached to their family, I can totally understand why, you know, parents are willing, not willing, but, you know, parents are saying, okay, you know, it's his fault because he didn't do this, this, and this. But, you know, at times, you know, I remember growing up and failing. And I think this was just, this is just how we were raised. Everything was just, it was tough. You know, things were, we, our parents or grandparents, everybody was tough on us. We're being ridiculed for everything. You know, it, it was just because there was so much struggle that went on before us. But, you know, it seems that, you know, at times there's a lack of looking in the mirror and saying, okay, you know, my, my, my swing, my batting stance is not where it needs to be. Let's blame coach. But I think a lot of times people fail to realize, okay, well, you know, if you worked on your swing, and your batting stance four times a month, Okay. Name another thing that you can do four times a month and be good at it. Yeah, there's probably not many things that you can do. Yeah, not right? many at all. But it's 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 way easier to, you know, ridicule a coach or you know anything along those lines. And that's one of the things that I like to challenge my athletes with. And I'll that's why I'm not afraid to say it on this podcast. I'll sugar I, I will never sugarcoat anything with anybody. Yeah, you know, you want your swing to get better, and you know you want you want to better yourself as anything, right? You have to do it every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to do it every day. I know we kind of got off track a little bit. No, but no, no. It's, no, no. Uh, that that's I mean, a great
0: off-track moment because you know? I say that to my boys all the time. And they're 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 guilty of this, right? They'll blame bumps, they'll blame this, they'll blame that. And I'm like, listen, listen, there's a reason you didn't get a hit in that game. That's right. It has nothing to do with your coach, has nothing to do with the ump. It has to do with you, right? And and you could say, well, that was a ball, that was a this, that was that. Well, you're holding the bat, okay? Swing it. And if you can swing it and not hit it, then you probably need to start swinging it more. Right. Whether that's at the bomb shelter or in the backyard or this or that. So, and and that goes across all walks of life, whether it's surgery, whether it's academics, whether it's no matter what you do, right? You can't expect to be good at it. If you don't do it often and you need to have an, you know, focus while you're doing it, you need to have um, intention while you're doing it, right? You can't just be like lazy practice. Lazy practice doesn't, end up going well it needs to be focused it needs to be deliberate it needs to be intentional right you need to have a point like kobe bryant michael jordan when they practice they practiced hard they practiced often and they always had a goal in mind they weren't just going through the motions if you just go through the motions you're gonna get mediocrity
2: that's true in sports it's true in business that's true in just life in general you know what i mean so all right
0: third business phone phone (laughs) he's going to the phone again um
2: what is the most the most gruesome thing that you've seen i guess it's a little bit more funny uh the most gruesome thing that you have seen on an operating table
0: oh gosh um i mean i've seen lots of things throughout the years whether it was orthopedic surgery whether it was um general surgery whether it was so I can get splashed in the face with blood and I can get f- splashed in the face with bone dust, um, on a daily basis. And that does not bother me at all. Smells really bother me. So it's, it, it's like bowels. I could not be a general surgeon. Um, I couldn't be an OB gen surgeon. Um, those types of things like infections where, where you're dealing with like pus and, and just nastiness, <laughs> Um, quite honestly some of the grossest things that I've ever experienced are just like the the natural things like a patient like loses their their bowel control during the operation and they and they
2: yeah they, they gotcha. have a bowel movement all over the table
0: right. it's underneath the drapes but I can smell it I'm like I gotta get out of here yeah. right um the other gross things that really gross me out I'll, I'll tell you a good one just like surgically but um when anesthesia like pulls the tube out of my patient's throats I can't be in the room because there's like that that slime that's like hanging from their mouth to the tube and it's just like uh, snot and it just it's nasty uh, um but and, and this probably isn't like as gross to me but like it would bother a lot of other people there was a gentleman i remember when i was in detroit i was doing my trauma rotation at uh, detroit receiving hospital and um there they called it the knife and gun club like they literally the trauma that i was getting wasn't like oh, I was skiing and I broke my femur going down the, the black diamonds, right? It was, they got shot by a gang member or they got stabbed by a, a, an opposing gang member. And there was one individual, young, probably early 20s, that was brought in. He was shot 19 times in the chest and the arm uh, uh, the, uh, by gang members and police officers. And we had to try to put his humerus back together, his upper arm bone on the, on the left side. I remember the surgery. I mean, it was like Swiss cheese trying to put this thing back together, and um, again, not the grossest thing in the world. But I mean, he had bullet holes all through him. Guy, guy survived, right? Because he was probably doing very, very bad things, probably working a drug deal or something like that. And God just wasn't quite ready to take him, <laughs> and he right. felt like his kids got some more life lessons to learn. Um, but it, it was honestly just like one of those most challenging surgeries that I've ever had to do in my attendings, when you did these types of rotations, they would let you go. They're like, Hey, it's yours. You, 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 if you need us, we're in the other room, you can come grab us. But like, I mean, we walked, worked on this guy myself and another resident for about three hours we finally got it fixated, but we rounded on this guy for probably three weeks. He was the most unappreciative individual that I've ever treated. Never once said, thank you. Always felt like, you know, entitled and this and that, but like, it, it was pretty like eye opening to see that other side of things, because what I do on a daily basis now is like elective hip and knee replacement surgery where the people are thanking me before I even do the operation. Whereas that was the other side of the, the coin. It doesn't mean that it's any less important because these, these individuals need this care. It's, it's critical access care. It's very important that they get it. Um, it's just, it's a hard pill to swallow when you're doing something for somebody and you spend so much time to try to help them and they're so unappreciative of it. Sure. But um I don't know if I quite answered your question, but
2: No, that does. Yeah. That does.
0: Personal? You don't need a phone for personal questions, do you?
2: I do because I have good questions that I wrote down that I thought through and I just want to make sure that I touch on everything. Okay. Fire um, away. This this is this first one is that is something that I struggle with every single day. Um How do you balance your work life? I guess it could be, you know, a business question as well. But how do you balance your personal life with your work life, with everything that you have going on, whether it be, you know, just everything in general? How do you balance it? So
0: I'm not going to admit that I do an amazing job of it, but I'm getting way better at it as uh, my career goes on. And again, I'm quite a bit older than you. I'm almost 45. I'll be 45 later this year. So um, early on, um, I will admit that I was very, very laser focused on on my career, right? And probably to the detriment of my family, but I always tried when I got home to like flip that switch. I'm not the kind of guy that can have a five-minute commute and be like, all right, home to surgery, home to the clinic, and vice versa, and be able to flip that switch that quickly. So for me... I drive an hour and 15 minutes to the hospital every single morning, one way. And then back that's two and a half hours that I'm in the car. And most people are like, Oh my gosh, how do you do that? But for me, that is exactly what I need to be able to accomplish that. So uh-huh. on the way in it's my time, right? I'll do audiobooks, I'll do podcasts. Sometimes I'll do music. Um, sometimes I'll just have quiet time and I'll just pray on my way to, to work. Um, on my way home, before I get home it's it's business i'll call my patients for the following day or i'll i'll make business calls so that by the time i get home everything should be wrapped up so that when i walk on the door i can flip that switch and be dad husband all, all the coach whatever it may be that night and i'm not saying that there's zero work interruptions cuz there sometimes are but I'm very well prepared because I, I've set my day up. So it's it's like just planning. It's, it's just knowing your schedule, making sure that you've set time aside for this or that and getting to know your body too. Like um, I'm not afraid to admit that I need a nap every once in a while. So if I'm really tired, I'm exhausted. I'm a little crabby. Um, and I, and I've, uh, I have a life coach that I talk to on a weekly basis. Her name's Alison Parplasha, amazing individual. Yeah. She gave me the pneumonic halt. So, Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, right? So if you're feeling like out of your element, it's probably one of those things. You're either hungry, you're angry about something, you're either lonely or you're tired. And you just need to fill your basic needs. So if you're hungry, eat. If you're angry, figure out why you're angry and try to like dispel that anger. If you're lonely, surround yourself with people that you love. And if you're tired, go f- take a freaking nap, right? right. <laughs> so, um, and I used to be so harsh where I was just like, Oh, if you have to take a nap, it's you're you're weak, right? right? But like, I'll go take a 20 minute power nap, and I wake up, and I'm refreshed, and I'm I'm way better of a f- husband right. and a father at that point.
2: That's too funny, especially with the nap, especially with the nap. That's funny. Yeah, that's 15 great.
0: or 20 minutes is all you need.
2: That's it. That's so cool. Yeah, you've mentioned Allison to me before, and I've had a conversation with Allison before. And honestly, that's one of my things is that how do I balance? How do I you know? whether it's personal or business related or anything, or even just making a phone call to somebody that you need, you know, you need to make a phone call to and just keeping up with those different things um, is something that I hope that I can, you know, improve. I think I've gotten a little bit better. It's definitely my weakest, you know, weakest attribute as I don't even want to say a business owner, just as a person in general. So that was cool. That helps as as
0: Alice would point. It's called a growth edge, right? I don't like to call it a weakness because that makes it negative, right? Mm -hmm. But if you call it a growth edge, it's like, it's a weakness, but it's like, it's something that you can actually get better at right? and you need to put time and energy into that. So for me, communication was one of my growth edges. Wellness was one of my growth edges over the past several years. And I've really put a lot of time and effort into making sure that I hopefully communicate better with people and take time to focus on me and, and what makes me better, which is like being just well. Mentally, physically, and emotionally.
2: Sure. Okay.
0: Got one more, right? I got two no. more. Two more? Is that two? Is that?
2: That was the first question. I felt um,
0: like two. <laughs>
2: I know. When was the moment that you realized you wanted to? So obviously, you know, as, as a doctor, you have a couple options. You can, you know, you can work at a hospital. You can go into business for yourself. Yeah. When was the moment that you realized you wanted to go into business for yourself slash start as busy as you are as a surgeon, start further business, start, you know, what when was that moment that you realized you wanted to do things on your own? You wanted to control everything for yourself.
0: Um. Well, so, I mean, to go back a little bit, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> when I did my fellowship, I, I did my fellowship under Dr. Adolf Lombardi and Dr. Keith Barron, mm-hmm. uh, Columbus, Ohio joint implant surgeons two of the the best mentors that I could have possibly had at that point in my career. Very, very private practice, very, very entrepreneurial, very, very business savvy. Um, I didn't learn the business from them, but I was exposed to it. So when I came out, I was like, I kind of want to be like that. So I did it for a year. And then I realized economically, financially, all my, all my colleagues are making way more money than me by becoming hospital employees. So I did it. I did it for two years. And I realized within like the first week, I was like, "Oh my god, I just sold my soul to the devil." Uh, it was horrible. I, I I was not able to be uh, who I wanted to be as a physician, who I wanted to be as a surgeon, who I wanted to be as a as uh, a provider to my patients. I was I was pigeonholed. I was controlled. I I, I lost my entrepreneurial spirit. So, sure. I had a two year contract. I'm extraordinarily loyal and and stick out like. If I have an obligation or a contract, I'm going to do it. So I I stuck out my two years, but I did not spend one more day than my two-year contract. And at the end of that, they tried to give me a subsequent pay increase. I was like, yep, nope. And I actually took a huge pay decrease to go back into private practice because I knew that there was no dollar amount that could get put on what I was doing on a daily basis that uh, could make it worth it to me. to to be able to take away that like, um, ability to just be who I was. Right. And, and not just being authentic and genuine, but being like private and being, uh, calling my own shots. Right. And when I took that step back, um, the, the, the economics, the finances, they were like, this makes no sense whatsoever. But I felt the most amazing sense of freedom when I made that switch back. And since then, um, I've never been... I've been employed again by a practice for a couple of years when I moved back to Pennsylvania because I had no other choice. Right. I was not hospital employed. And then after that, I opened Whole Health on my own in 2018. And um, that that was probably the best day of my life was when I decided to go out on my own. Extraordinarily difficult, extraordinarily challenging to start a private practice less than 10 years into your career. Right. And to like rally a staff around you to believe in what you're trying to create, not having an actual office to do it in and just like trying to figure all those like challenges out. But man, it was so good. It was liberating to just know that like it was, it was, I could do it the way that I want to do it, which is my ultimate goal was to just provide the best care for my patients possible without having anybody or any institution trying to influence the decisions that I made to, to be able to do that.
2: Gotcha. very cool. My last question is interesting because I don't have any kids of my own. Um, you know, who's my favorite? What's that? Is,
0: it, is it your question, who's my favorite kid? Or
2: No, 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 no. Okay, no. good. <laughs> I, I can answer that <laughs> easily. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, obviously children are something that, you know, you... You know, you think about when you're younger, you think about in your 20s or what have you. But you're, you know, at least for me, and this is not something that I've, you know, come out in the open and said before. But like I'm in business for myself, you know, for the most part, I'm in business for myself. And, you know, there's always thoughts in my head like, well, like you said before, I was off of work at 10 o'clock tonight. Right. So that's a challenge, you know, in the future. You know, how does that whole dynamic work? So my question is, what are your biggest challenges as a parent?
0: Oh, wow. Um, Well, I think as a parent, for for us, we have to look at like we have three boys, right? If it was one kid, it's one challenge. If it's two kids, it's multiple challenges. If it's three kids, several challenges, right? And each of your kids are going to come out completely different from the one prior to it. They're not going to be the same. Their needs aren't going to be the same. The way that they interact is not going to be the same. And they're going to have issues with one another, whether it's jealousy, whether it's this, whether it's that. Some are going to be a little bit more naturally gifted athletically, academically, um, and they're all going to have their own unique challenges and situations. So for for Karen and I, I think it's important to really identify like who your kid is, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what their personalities are, what their needs are is probably one of the most important, right? Because everybody needs something differently. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it uh, for you as a human, for you as, you know, you have a young relationship with Taylor, which she's a great girl. And when you have kids, it's called Five Love Languages. Have you ever heard of it? I have. Have you read it? I have not. So I would read it. Yeah. Either the audio book or the actual book. I've done it a couple of times and I'm not going to go into the specifics of it, but like it really does give you a different perspective as to like what is important to different people, right? So like my wife's uh, love language is very different than mine, which is very different than Anthony's, very different than Santino's, and very different than Luca's. Honestly, I don't even know if any of us have the same... And there's only five according to this book, right? But that being said, like, I don't think there's like just one because um, there, there's certain things that are really important to me. Like I love... Um, you know, being able to like just words of affirmation is one of them. Physical touches is one of them. Mm-hmm. Gift giving is one of them. But for each, like I like doing all those things, but there's certain love languages that speak individually to you. So for me, the biggest challenge of being a parent is like identifying what my kids needs are, AKA love language and being able to provide that. while not taking away from one of the others so it's like time management is very important because some kids need a little bit more time and energy than others and 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 it just seems to happen that they all need you at the same time so like dividing and conquering that's why I would say like one kid's generally easier but like when you've got three kids that are all acting up and this kid's going that way that kid's going that way and you know there's only two of us we have to figure hmm. out a way to like keep everybody on the rails and make sure that like no one's getting too far off course and that they all realize like tonight I had a great, before you got here, we had a great couple of days in in the hills of Hocking Hills of Ohio, but Anthony came down and like, he's a big physical touch guy. So he laid on my lap. He's 12 years old, put his head down. We were watching TV and I just was able to like touch his shoulder and let him know that like how much I love him. And, And like, not just physically touching him, but like telling him, like, I tell these kids all the time how much I love them. And, and to to me, that was something that I never got a lot of. Didn't mean that my parents didn't love me, but it was just was like, it was a different household, right? I had three yeah. older sisters, and yeah. my parents weren't lovey-dovey touching us and, right. and hugging us and saying, love you, Ryan. Like, my parents told me that just a handful of times. Doesn't mean that I never felt their love, but it just wasn't one of the things that was as maybe important or shared as much sure. as what I try to share with our boys yeah so it's a challenge but um you will figure it out yeah when that time is right
2: i got you okay very good
0: ready That's to, my six ready, ready, ready to turn the tables
2: ready to roll let's go
0: okay jay edit this out we're going to take a quick break cuz he's out of his drink so we can't go the rest <laughs> of this without that you ready
2: I'm ready. Let's do it. Role reversal
0: here. So, business questions first. Okay. So, you're a young guy, 28. You've you've done some things. You've 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 coached, but this bomb shelter thing. Where the hell did this come from? Like, who was the first person that gave you? I mean, I know that you coached at the collegiate level, but mm-hmm. where where did you first get this idea of like training? not only just like collegiate baseball players, but younger athletes.
2: Yeah. So first and foremost, a lot of people don't know this, but the bomb shelter was the bomb shelter existed before I acquired the bomb shelter. Um, but in terms of, uh, training kids, honestly, that was something that I, I'd taken on a, a small position at another facility locally. Um, started training some kids there. Um, you know there was a handful of things that you know kind of they kind of went down and you know it's you know just uh, that's that's kind of a story for you know private conversation a little bit yeah. yeah a little bit um but anyhow i in that time i realized that i i really enjoy working with kids i think it's really fun um you know i uh i think it's cool to be able to give back to to young kids i, I think it's really neat i think it's you know, especially in a city, you know, where we don't, the reality of it is we don't have a ton of, you know, crazy baseball talent. That's, that's just the reality of Erie. You know, we're surrounded by cities that do. Um, we're surrounded by cities that have a ton of indoor training facilities for baseball, softball. Um, so again, at this point in time in my life, never did I think that I would have uh, a facility of my own, but I did start to train some kids here and there. Um, I, did some training outdoors. I worked with some kids outdoors, um, you know, literally at a cage that I could find a cage at, you know, whether it be Sam Jethro park, whether it be, um, Furman park out in Harbor Creek, really wherever. I mean, I remember literally there were some kids who didn't have a ride. I would pick them up in my personal vehicle and bring them to the field. We would train, drive them home. You know, it was just, it was never, it was never, um, it was never a business thing. Anything along those lines. It was never like that. It was always just to kind of, you know, help. And it still is to this day. But at the time, it was never like, you know, I'm doing this so that I can start a baseball training business. In my eyes, I was going to be the next head baseball coach of Vanderbilt. You know what I mean? I I always wanted to coach college baseball, right? Um, But, uh, you know, I, it got to the point where I was doing 30 or 40 of these a week on top of coaching baseball at Mercer. So now you're Spending X amount of hours a week at Mercier's, and then basically working another full-time job, and um, I remember talking to you know friends and family, and they're like, "This is like this is not a hobby. This is a business, right?" So um, I I started to rent time from the original bomb shelter.
0: So there uh, was you mentioned that you said yeah there, there was, was an original bomb shelter. bomb shelter yeah and it was called bomb shelter
2: it was called bomb shelter Indoor cages, same logo, same name, same everything. Right. Um, and I rented some time from them. Uh, the previous owners came to me and they said, look, you know, this has always just been a a fun thing for our kids. You know, whatever. We've never really run this as, um, it was a legitimate business to them, but there was never any marketing. There was never any advertising. There was never any social media, anything along those lines. Um, do you want to buy the business from us? And I'm thinking in my head, like I, I have no idea, you know, I'm a college baseball coach at this time. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, thought it through, you know, Joe Spano, your previous guest is one of my biggest professional and, you know, coaching mentors in, in my life. And um, I mean, I owe a lot of different things to Joe. Um, he's like, you, you know, this is huge. You know, this is, this would be awesome. Maybe a great opportunity. I don't know. There's only two or three cages. I envisioned something a lot bigger, you know, well, how about, we, you know, just start small and see what happens, go from there. So finally, you know, we did acquire the bomb shelter um, for a, you know, a great price. I mean, everything just made a ton of sense, right? Um, But uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much how it happened. And then we really, I mean, that place got to the point where it was, it was so full that within the first seven months of acquiring the business in March of 2021, we then opened the second location that was quadruple the size of the first one. <laughs> so
0: that's right after COVID, right? So that leads right me into my COVID. second question uh-huh. is you, you acquired in 2018 In
2: 2021.
0: Okay. You, you came to Erie in 2018,
2: came to Erie in 2018. Yep. Started coaching baseball at Marcy. And then, yeah.
0: And you were probably doing some private lessons here and there just on the, uh, side. On the side. There was
2: some alumni, you know, things like that. And yeah. you
0: started a, business in the height of a pandemic yeah number one what were you drinking or smoking and (laughs) number two was there other than joe was there like a voice in the back of your head or a person your parents somebody that was just like anthony you need to do this or what was like that that driving force that made you jump out of that plane spread your wings and fly because trust me i i am the first person that will tell you there's nothing that's ever going to happen to you good unless you take a risk and you took a major risk, but it paid off.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Joe was a huge factor in this entire thing. He, he still is to this day. He's a great mentor from a baseball standpoint of view. I mean, family man, just unbelievable person. Um, but in terms of that, I mean, I, I never looked at it. It, it all happened so fast. I mean, I, you know, it was okay. We can acquire the bomb. I can acquire the bomb shelter. Um, and then it just got to the point where we were so busy. I, I just remember talking, I'm talking to my dad all the time, constantly talking to my dad. I'm like, dad, this place is full. Like, what are we going to, what am I going to do? You know, this place is full. And you know, my dad being, you know, someone who, like I said, we, everybody in my family is like a nine to five, right. Which is, it's safe. It's, you know, you provide for your family, what have you. Um, He's like, just go, just take it easy, go slow, whatever, you know? And I'm thinking in my head, like, this is crazy. I, I think that I'm, I might be wasting an opportunity, right? So as I'm training, as I'm training Drew Baldwin's son, who, you know, that their family owns, you know, for anybody that's listening that, you know, knows Erie, they own a ton of.
0: Drew will be one of my guests here very yeah,
2: soon. They own yeah. a ton of commercial real <laughs> estate in uh, in Erie and really all over the country. Um. Drew's like, hey, I got this storage unit. I got this storage unit that's available. Um, you know, just down the road from the original bomb shelter location. Are you interested in taking a peek at it? Drew happened to be in there at a time where literally every single square inch, I think, was full at the original bomb shelter. Probably broke every COVID rule. I mean, I, I don't know who's listening, but probably broke every COVID. Whatever. OSHA, Department yeah.
0: of Justice, whoever. But
2: we were—I mean, it was jam packed, and Drew's in there, and he's like, "Hey, you need more space. What are you doing?" You know? Yeah. I, honestly, I owe a little bit to Drew too, a, a yeah. lot, you know. Um, he's—I have this storage unit, and I'm like, "All right, let's take a look." Right. So, in Drew's eyes, this is a storage unit. To me, when I walked in there, I mean, this is twelve to thirteen thousand square feet of thirty-foot ceilings, bare walls. Everything is completely raw. I'm like Drew. This is not a store to me. When I envision a storage unit, I'm thinking ten by ten. People store grandma, yeah, their grandmother, like, their grandmother's
0: bed, and there's like a garage door that goes. There's up. a garage door.
2: <laughs> that, ooh, there's a garage door that goes up, and you know, the ball. They're they're used to dealing with hundred thousand square foot properties. You know, whatever. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like, I don't know how we're gonna pay for this, but this is amazing. You know. Yeah. And. Make a long story short. I mean, we worked out a deal that you know was that was able to allow us to you know get into a space that was much larger, you know, acquire many more team rentals, um, which are huge, you know, in the, in this line of work, um, and just really be able to provide a space that ultimately is the only space in Erie that has just baseball and softball that doesn't have any other sports, you know. So we've been able to do that.
0: So. You're kind of leading me down this path. My my, <laughs> my third question, and this is almost like a statement, but I, I kind of want to hear. I'll, I'll turn it into a question. I have a tremendous amount of respect for people that not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. Right. And, and I put myself in that company, like from my office. Sure. Have you seen it yet? I didn't think you've been down no there, just right? pictures but no yeah but we need to get you down there like so it wasn't just like something that i had like an idea for like yeah i had an idea i drew it out i drew out all not the structural engineering plans and things like that but like i physically did a lot of the work myself like i, I was building walls and, and putting stuff up like you did the vast majority of <laughs> you put the turf down you put the nuts up you did this you did that you were painting that's blood, sweat, and tears. And and, yeah. and and like your success is because you invested in yourself and you put, you, 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 I mean, you weren't just paying somebody to do this for you, sitting back casually. You were an invested owner and you went out and you said, this is me. This is Anthony Santoro. I am now bomb shelter. I'm putting my time. I, and you were there late doing this stuff. Yeah, like this after was After never- hours.
2: The the option to hire a company to come in and fully outfit this new location, it wasn't there. That was never an option. I mean, I remember getting a quote from a company for well over a hundred thousand dollars, and I'm thinking in my head,
3: were you laughing when they my gave dad, you that quote?
2: <laughs> I'm like, Dad, these guys want that. He's like, Get the hell! Like, there's that was never an option. So yeah. the only option was to bring on who is now. In my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, the best pitching instructor in the city of Erie, Frank Frishetti. Frankie Frishetti. Unbelievable. Shout out to you, buddy. Uh, yeah. Hey,
0: you're coming on here too, by the way.
2: So Frank, I mean, I owe I owe a lot, if not all of, you know, the success at the bomb shelter to Frank Fraschette. I mean, Frank was he was a I mean, everything in terms of building out this the second location. Frank's gonna hate me for saying Frank's afraid of heights. Okay, so we I'm, one of the biggest things that Frank, so one of the afraid. biggest things that we had to do was we had to first of all we bartered I bartered a scissor lift. You know, these guys are telling me that I need a scissor lift. First of all, I, I'm going on my phone Googling what's a scissor lift. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. So we barter a scissor lift. I get a scissor lift. Okay. Frank and I are on a scissor lift and we're painting this completely raw space, right? And when I say raw, I'm talking literally cement block. Some block on the wall, concrete floors. Nothing is painted whatsoever. Um, and that was the first thing we did. We painted. I mean, blue, white, we paint it is what you see. I mean, you know, and um, so I owe I owe a ton to to Frank for sure. And some of my family, and you know, I'll never forget the first time my dad walked into that facility. And my dad just he grabs his head and he's like, What did you do? What did you get yourself into? I'm like, dad, no, seriously, this is going to be great. We're going to, I mean, this is going to be phenomenal. We're going to train every team. We're going to train every kid. We're going to train every travel organization, every high school. He's like, no, why would you do this? Why would you do this to yourself? You know, because as much as my family, everybody in my family works hard. It. Nobody was really risk takers. I mean, the biggest risk was my grandparents coming from Sicily to, you know, Sarah. Pretty big risk. That's a huge risk. But in terms of that, it was the, the, the risk was, OK, we're we're here and we're going to find a job and that's going to be great. We're going to make a few bucks. We're going to, you know, we're going to have a family. Everything's going to be amazing. But renting a space, building it out, that was never really, you know, that was, you know, if my grandmother were here today, she, she would probably still be mad at me, even though we're doing OK. You know, so <laughs> it's um honestly, I sit here. I still don't know how everything happened. that month. We had one month to build the facility out. We got mon- one month. I believe it was one month free rent. Thanks, Drew. And um, we, <laughs> Thank we had you, basically 30 days to, to build this place out. And um, we did it. We built it out in 30 days. Um, the quote that we got was for well over $100,000. And they basically told us that it would take six months to build out. I literally told Frank, I said, look, we have we have 30 days. That's all we got. So let's do it. And we did it. And that was it. Did Here you guys are.
0: like, were you like, all right, day one, we got to put in... At least 15 hours, day two, we got to put in. <laughs> well, or what we're you getting down was, to crunch time where you're like, we got four days left and we have like half the things to
2: still do? What happened was we're I'm funding this project with the money that we're making like that week. I mean, this was not, this was not we're going to go to the bank and we're going to get this. Yeah, you self-funded it. That's right. Everything was bootstrapped. So we, I mean, Frank and I would literally, we would train kids from whenever in the afternoon until 10 o'clock at night. And we would work on this new, we would drive over, it's only, you know, less than a mile away, we would drive over, and we would work on this new facility, probably after eating Taco Bell or something along those lines, until five or six o'clock in the morning. I mean, we would be leaving the facility at five or six o'clock in the morning, and people would be going to the gym next door. Wow! So that was it. You were pulling all-nighters. We were pulling all-nighters. We would sleep for a few hours, we would go to Mercer's practice, and we would repeat that month of October, I'll never forget it. Um, And to be honest with you, as corny as it may sound, I would never trade that for anything. It was unbelievable.
0: No, that's what you call sweat equity. That's right. Right. You literally that's put right. it
2: in. Yeah. There was no other option, I guess. There was no other option. Proud of you. I appreciate it. That's way,
0: it. way more important <laughs> and like something to be proud of than going taking a loan out or going and having somebody else do it for you. Like you guys did it.
2: Yeah. I mean, like I said, there was no, at the time, I mean, I was, I was young. I didn't have the income. There was, I was never going to be able to go to a bank and say, Hey, we need this. You know? So for any entrepreneur, any future entrepreneur, not that I'm in a position to give advice, but for any for any young entrepreneur that's listening to this, don't be afraid to do things on your own. It's totally fine. You might feel I went about that whole thing thinking, like, these cages might fall. The paint's probably going to chip. There's going to be holes in the nest. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. But there's not in here. I mean, we're still here. Yeah. We're still here. And I can guarantee we're not going anywhere. No.
0: (laughs) You're going somewhere. It's going up. That's right. right. That's it. As you continue to expand. So I think it was my third business question, wasn't it? Yeah, that was your third. So we're going to go personal now? Let's do it. So... I mean you've spoke of your family. Mm-hmm. Obviously your your family has a huge influence on you from your grandparents to your parents, but is there and, and it doesn't have to be a family person, but like is there one person that you can sit back at the end of the day and be like this is the individual that like I can attribute and maybe it's not one, maybe it's a couple I can attribute my success to and just like um who drives you on a, a day-to-day basis to be the man that you are?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a that's challenging, right? Because you have, you know, my grandparents, you have um, pretty much everybody in my family. But really, I mean, honestly, my dad. I mean, my dad has been somebody that I've looked up to my entire life. You know, I remember growing What's up. What's his name, by the way? My dad's name is Frank. Um, and, uh, but yeah, my dad, I mean, I've always looked at my dad like this, you know, strong net, always going to be around, always going to be this, always going to be, I mean, just always, you know, you, you call your dad and I think a lot of people probably feel this way. You call your dad as like someone who you think is always going to have the answer. Like dad, this happened. What do I do? And you just think he always has the answer. And that's, but yeah, I mean, I would have to say my dad. I mean,
0: I hate to interrupt. He yeah. was not a principal at Maplewood Elementary School back in the 1980s and 90s, was he? No. Because no. Frank Santoro was the scariest individual that I've ever <laughs> met in my entire no. life. I didn't know your dad's name until you just said it. And oh my gosh, all of you people that went to Maplewood know who I'm talking about. Great guy, but man, that guy was intense. <laughs> and when, when, Mr. Santoro, our principal would speak, we would listen, and if you ever had to go to the principal's office for anything, it was like, holy crap, like it, this is not going to be a good day. <laughs> no, he, he, everybody he with an iron fist.
2: I'm the only Santoro in my family. Well, not the only. My brother's here now, but uh, to live in Erie, Pennsylvania, I think the only one to leave New York actually. So, I mean. But yeah, there's so many people in my family that have done so many amazing things and, you know, where they've come from and things of that nature. I mean, my grandmother, um, really just just so many people that have, you know, kind of just blended me into the person that I am. Um, But my dad is just he's always been there from a baseball standpoint. He's helped me from a business standpoint. Um, But yeah, I would say that he's he's definitely the guy that I've that I've always looked up to. He's he's the guy that. I've always been afraid to say, Dad, I, I failed doing this, or Dad, I, you know what I mean? You always, you're always looking for that sense of approval from, you know, your dad or, you get know it. what I mean? Yeah. You know? So, yeah.
0: Question two. Mm-hmm. Got to kind of erase bomb shelter, erase baseball coaching out of your repertoire. What would be your dream job? You got to subtract baseball completely out of it. What what could you see yourself doing if if you weren't the bomb shelter yeah. entrepreneur that you are and um, baseball guy that you are in the community?
2: Something along the lines of sales. I like to sell. I like to negotiate. Um, definitely still something entrepreneurial. Um, honestly, something that has always interested me. And some people listening to this probably know this. Cause I've actually, and this is the first time I'm admitting this to the public, I've actually done some, uh, not done some, but I've, I've had some different interviews and some different things that have, have gone on that, you know, in my head, I'm like definitely spreading myself a lot more thin than I already am. But I love the idea of real estate. Um, I think that's like one of the most entrepreneurial things that you can do. And it's just, I love the risk, but I know it's crazy, but I love the risk, um, I love the negotiation piece of it. I love the selling piece of it, um, but
0: uh, are you talking yeah, commercial real estate? I
2: love commercial real estate. I think residential real estate is it's diluted. I think that you know, um, I, I feel like I know so many people that you know, I'm a real estate agent. I you know I've sold a house or you know what have you. But I love the idea of commercial real estate. I love the idea of big projects, um, things of that nature. And, and um, I think that's something that uh, is in the future for me too. You know, I, I love the bombshells shelter. will always be here as long as I can control it. Um, but I do think that something along the lines of uh, real estate is is definitely in my future as well.
0: OK, so now I'm going to go back to baseball. Mm-hmm. All right. I tried to get away from it for one question, yeah, but. That's tough. Give me your all time. And I did the same question for Joe. Right. Spano. Um, and I've had this question asked to me for kind of my basketball um passion but for you who was your your greatest personal kind of like idol growing up baseball wise um if you can give me one player and then also you're from Syracuse give me your ultimate like the best baseball major league baseball team of all time year okay team and year um is there a Guy My. that you were just like, This is the guy. Like for me it was Michael Jordan. It was easy.
2: Yeah, for me it was Derek Jeter. Um the captain. The captain. I mean, really, just you you talk about somebody that did everything right on the field. Um, and, and people argue this. People Derek Jeter wasn't a good hitter, he wasn't a good defender. I mean, people say that all the time about Derek. A young kid in the facility today at the bomb shelter said that Derek Jeter wasn't a good hitter. Derek Jeter was a career three ten hitter, he was a good hitter. You know, he may have not been flashed. You kick him
0: out of the bomb shelter forever. I should, like have. I should have.
2: He should have been banned forever. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Derek Jeter. I mean, you just talk about. I was raised, you know, to be able to. You know, I remember going to tryouts growing up, and my dad would say, "Look, regardless of how this goes, you know, the guy that's in front of you, just you know, smack him on the ass, like you know, good job, good luck. You know, what I always treat people, always treat the game with respect, right." This is coming from a guy that never played baseball before. This was just how we were raised. Um, and Derek Jeter was... He was that guy. I mean, he never... There was never anything he did wrong off the field. Yeah, I mean, He, I there, he there, was pretty
0: squeaky clean on and off the field. That's what I
2: mean. I mean, he was just an unbelievable guy. And it seems like everybody respected him. Everybody appreciated being on the field with him. Everybody was excited. All the minor leaguers that would come up there were so excited to meet him. Everybody, anybody that I know... That was drafted or played in professional baseball, always has the experience of like you know, or the story that uh, when I met Jeter, he did this, or when I met Jeter, he did this. I mean, and I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about this guy. So other than that
0: kid at the bomb shelter, other than
2: the kid about the bomb shelter who knows nothing, (laughs) um, I mean, he to me he was just he's a class act, phenomenal player, played for the Yankees, you know, clean Yankees, clean cut guys. I mean, I just I love that about the Yankees and. You know, Jeter always had a good haircut, right? That's it. Yeah. Keeping it tight. And I loved it. I mean, the worst thing that anybody ever had to say about Derek Jeter was that he was I think he was in trouble maybe with a couple different women or something along those lines. I mean, if that's the worst thing that anybody can come up with about your career, I think you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: quite honestly, he has a beautiful wife now. I think he's got three kids. Yeah, it's amazing.
2: He's amazing.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: Best team.
0: It's going to be a Yankees team.
2: It's going to be a Yankees team. I mean, it's any, honestly, that's a challenge because the Yankees were so good when they had the core four. I mean, you had Mariano Rivera, Jorge Posada, Derek Jeter, Andy Pettit. I mean, those guys, that group of guys, I mean, that's just, you talk about just four guys. Again, class acts. I mean, if you can win, be classy. Everybody loves you. You did not
0: mention A Rod in there.
2: No. You know what, though? I almost wore the, the Jordan, uh, Georgetown, and the reason I bring that up is, I saw the shoes on Alex. Rod- I I don't mind Alex Rodriguez, right? I don't mind Alex Rodriguez. Um, I bought the shoe. Frank and I, Frank, who I who the I Jordan before.
0: threes, Georgetown's? Yeah, I got those sitting over in the I know shop over there. So yeah.
2: I almost wore them. Um,
0: I'm glad you wore the cements.
2: I know, and uh, but I saw a Rod wearing them, and you know during the World Series, and he was talking on on Fox News, and um, I. That was the only reason I bought those shoes. I'm like, those look sweet on um, A-Rod. It's pretty cool. But honestly, A-Rod was, to me, I look at A-Rod as a guy that got traded to the Yankees, had a good career with the Yankees, you know, whatever. But I look at Derek Jeter. Jorge he was Posada. a lifelonger, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, he played a long, great career with the Yankees. But for some reason, in my head, I look at the Yankees. I, I've i always remembered the Yankees as Jeter, Jorge Posada, Andy Pennant and Mariano Rivera. And I remember growing up, Every single night, I would sit, during the baseball season. Paul O'Neill
0: was part of that team, Paul too. Paul O'Neill. Right? I mean, yeah. a
2: lot of these guys, unbelievable. Um, I remember watching every Yankees game every night with my dad on the recliner. I would sit on his lap, we would watch the game. My oh, mom gosh. would make me go to bed. Those are good memories. Unbelievable. <laughs> my mom would make me go to bed every single morning on a piece of printer paper. My dad would basically create like a scoreboard, right? And he would write the score to the ink. Yan- I could have probably turned the TV on, you know, whatever. Every morning, ne- I I n- will never forget going downstairs and looking forward to seeing this piece of printer paper, seeing the Yankee. He would just write the score. He'd write the score to the game. Would you
0: fall lap? Uh, fall asleep on his lap? Fall asleep.
2: My mom would make me go to bed. My mom made me go to bed when Barry Bonds broke the home run record. Oh She's the worst. Gosh. Mom, you're the worst. That's <laughs> horrible. I I had to listen on the radio. I had this little radio, <laughs> this little nightstand radio. I had to listen to Barry Bonds break the home run record. Regardless of what anybody thinks about Barry Bonds, he's still, you know, whatever.
0: He, he still hit those home runs. It is what right? it
2: is. Um but uh I listened to that on the radio, but my this is totally off the question, but um one of my favorite childhood memories is I mean, waking up in the morning, looking at that piece of paper, seeing the Yankees score, um, which is pretty cool. One of those things I always remember.
0: So I've kind of run out of my questions for you, but I'm going to ask you one more. Do it, right? I'm, going to, I'm going to do like a bonus question, right? Because you mentioned one player there, of that four
2: mm-hmm.
0: from the Yankees, because you were a catcher. I was right? a catcher. And, you know, my boys, they all play multiple sports. They, they play baseball. Um, they play basketball, they play flag football and this and that. And a couple of them have been like, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to catch. I'm like, there's no glory in catching and this and that. And I'm just like, but I'm, I'm hearing you. And then my buddy Travis, who was guest number two on the podcast, caught for Gannon and this and that. And, um, Nico Spano of all people, right? Joe's son, he went out to Cedar Point with us this past weekend. I was just like, Nico, you play shortstop. You play this. You play this. What's your favorite position? She goes, it's catcher. I'm like, why? And he's just like, it is because I feel like I'm in control of the situation. And I, I'm starting to learn more about baseball because I'm not a baseball guy. Sure, but I'm, I'm gonna say I'm like, kind of like a, a baseball nerd now. Like I love yeah. the strategy behind it. There's so much, and I am a pupil. I, like I, I don't know that much but I'm hoping over the years that I can learn more and more about the strategy and this and that. But he like opened my eyes. He's just like, you know, I kind of can call the pitches. I can, I, I can call the situations, the coaches relaying all the plays to me and that I'm relaying the. It's just like nothing that I ever knew about baseball before. So at what point in your life were you like, all right, I want to be a catcher. And why?
2: This is super easy. I mean, never did I want to be a catcher. I mean, I, I never disliked the position, but I was in high school and they said, you can play varsity if you learn how to catch. It was like playing time. That's it. <laughs> yeah, That's it. I mean, you do what you're told, right? I mean, that's a, again, it goes back to the way that you were brought up. And a lot of this, I feel like, you know, for, for some young kids, it, if, if there's one big piece of advice that I can, give, it's just, I don't want to say do what you're told, but you know, if find you're, your role. If you're given an opportunity, <laughs> just accept it and, you know, just embrace it and, you know, whatever. I mean, I you can play I'll never forget, you can play varsity if you learn how to catch. It's pretty simple. You know yeah. what I mean? So, it's What was your other option? Play JV. Yeah. And that wasn't an option. Yeah. So I that one I learned how to catch. I mean, there's a guy by the name of Tim Alexander. He's now a the full-time area scout for our area actually in Pennsylvania for the, for the New York Yankees. At the time, he was doing some catching instruction in Syracuse. Um and uh you know, we, I don't know exactly how we found him, but he, he trained, I mean, I couldn't, he had this class, right? This class was like, I mean, this was like the ultimate gut check class, right? And it was like an eight week long class. I still want to do this with the bomb shelter. Um, haven't done it yet, but there, I mean, there's so many things that I want to do that we haven't done yet, but uh, he would have this class. It would go eight, 12 weeks. I don't know exactly how long. Um, and there would be a fitness portion of this class and there would be a catching portion of this class. Immediately, I struggled with the fitness. Now, mind you, I, like I said, I grew up in the inner city where it's not like we, we went without or anything. I don't want to portray it as that. It's just, we didn't, I didn't know about like the extra baseball training or, you know, the all these other things. I, I had no idea, you know. Mm-hmm. I played a little, I didn't play travel ball until I was, you know, later years in high school. Um, so, you know, there was a fitness portion. I remember having to learn how to jump rope, had no idea how to jump rope, uh, made that a priority immediately. Cause it was crazy embarrassing. The first session, um, had no idea how to block a baseball, um, you know, as opposed to trying to catch everything. Uh, there was just so many different things that this guy had he taught me. Tim Alexander. I mean, he's, he actually did a camp for me at the bomb shelter, um, a few months back. And, uh, so that was a really cool full circle moment, uh, in wow. my life. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was it was either so opportunity, not the position. That's it. Yeah. But then ultimately, I did fall in love with the position. I don't know that it was I fell in love with it because I got a chance to play varsity or I fell in love with it because the amount of work that I put into it, you know, allowed me to fall in love with the position. But um, or th- w- whether it was Tim, I mean, it was um, it was uh, it was neat. I mean, I honestly looking back at it, I don't know that I would have played college baseball at the level that I played it. If I didn't become a catcher, because in baseball catching gives you a little bit of leeway for hitting and it just gives you if you can defend, if you can catch you are you're wanted in a lot of places. So a uh, little bit of I wanted to catch a little bit of I was forced to catch a little bit of my dad probably smacked me in the back of the head and said, you're going to play varsity. So you're going to learn how to catch, you know, a combination of the three. But yeah,
0: all worked out, right?
2: It all worked out. Here we are.
0: Yeah. So. You ready for the next baseball analogy, which is you know one of my favorite kind of sections of this podcast, which yeah. is the the sawbone seventh inning shoe stretch. Yeah. So, I mean, you know me, mm-hmm. I'm a shoe guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I know you. You like your shoes too. Yeah. So, let's 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 hear what you're wearing. I know what you're wearing. I mean, I seen them. I have them. But let let's hear what you're wearing. Why you like them, and then I'll do the same.
2: Yeah. So honestly. um, I, have, I am a shoe guy, um, but I have always been, I remember growing up, it was like, okay, you got your school shoes, you got your play shoes, right? And um, I had never been a really big, you know, shoe guy. I've always had a ton of shoes, right? I've always had a ton of, I guess, you you know, now I would call them play shoes, shoes that I train in. I, I buy a ton of running shoes on clouds and, you know, brooks and, you know. All at Hoka's and all these different running shoes and things that I like to train kids in. Um, But I guess it wasn't really until I met Frank. Frank's really into Jordans. And, um, you know, I I like the idea of Jordans. I have these, honestly, they're Jordan cement. I don't even know. Jordan 11 cement. Jordan 11 yeah. cement. Yeah. They um, got the
0: patent leather down there. Yeah. I mean, they're just, I just they're, think the they're the sweet. Lows. They're
2: sharp. They're clean. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't really until I met a handful of people in my life that are like, you can still wear Jordans and, like, dress them up. Like, Jordans aren't just a basketball show. I guess I always oh, have it yeah. in my head. You know, I'm looking at guys that are wearing, like, a suit with Jordans, you know? Um, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what know? I do.
0: I mean, I wear sport coats, suits.
2: That's it. Uh, scrubs. Yeah. You, can, you can wear it with anything. So, honestly, these Jordans are, I would say, the first pair of Jordans that I bought in, like, my professional life. Um, and uh, so, yeah. I mean, I... Uh,
0: they're a sharp shoe for they sure. Are.
2: Yeah, they are. Um, but no, I I have got a newfound love of the Jordan brand. Um, like I said, I have a ton of running shoes and things of that nature. But I, uh, you know, in terms of going out and doing things socially, the last year or so has been really uh, the first time in my life where I've like.
0: What's Taylor think of your Jordans? Does she like them? Because I Taylor can see her Jor- like Taylor.
2: Taylor has um Taylor has probably 40 pairs of Jordans. Taylor loves Jordans. I did not Jordans. know that.
0: I knew yeah. that she liked Jordans, but I didn't know yeah. that she had them. Taylor
2: that under- will entertain you on a podcast as well if you ever need a guess. But uh she I, yeah, Taylor's a I'm a little
0: embarrassed because she's like rivaling my Jordan collection.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Taylor's crazy. I mean, she she has an unbelievable amount of Jordans. So maybe what would be for- cool
0: is if we did an episode. She brought all her Jordans, and I had all my Jordans, and we just sat in my shoe room, and we just talked about Jordans the entire yeah, time.
2: Yeah, Taylor loves them. I mean, and if you, you know, you meet Taylor now, you would never. She's a cosmetologist. You yeah, would never know well, that, right? I mean, she's
0: she's got like pizzazz, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and she's like super fun. But I would not peg her as somebody that has forty pairs of Jordans.
2: Unbelievable. Neither would I, and I didn't believe her until she's like opening these boxes. I mean, everything's in good shape still, um, and. I don't know, doesn't wear them anymore, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, crazy amount of Jordans.
0: She needs to start breaking them out.
2: I know, I know.
0: So, you know, before um, this episode, my boys love Jordans, especially, uh, well, all of them do, but Luca is a huge shoe fanatic. And I I came out and I had this shirt on. And he's like, I said, Luca, um, I need you to help me with uh, selecting my shoes for tonight. And he goes, Got it. He's like, no problem. He's like, I'm gonna go down. And he had a pair of Jordan shorts on that were essentially my hat and my shirt. They had the kind of turquoise Jordan symbol, but they had some navy blue in it. And he goes, I know the pair. And he came downstairs and he gave me three options. He goes, You can do those, you can do those, or you can do those. And and he pointed to the ice blues. So these are these are Jordan one lows, ice blues which i mean this back color here is just i mean it's just hot as is the sole i mean it it, it just matches and um you know again i'm just a a huge jordan one fan they're super comfy uh the cool thing is they generally come with a couple different color laces so um he loves lacing my shoes up so luca (laughs) uh maybe we'll we'll swap these out for the the ice blue laces here later but uh you know, this is that point where we start to transition into the next part, which is the Sawbones Challenge, which again, people at home, I've always filmed these sessions at like 6 p.m., maybe a little bit earlier. It's midnight. Midnight. Gotta yeah, be. So yeah, this is way past my bedtime. So <laughs> um, we're not going to be able to go outside, but we are going to like make this still happen. So you've seen the Sawbones Challenge before, right? Basketball. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you are a baseball guy, yeah. but we're we're gonna we're <laughs> gonna switch it up a little bit tonight. I am gonna give you the option of two different things, right? Three different things. I'll give you three different options. Okay, so we've got the basement out here. It's it's pretty much like a a a, a kids' uh, playground in terms of like basketball <laughs> stuff. We've got the Papa Shot over there, which is uh, if you want to do that, it's kind of boring. That's fine. We've got the Breakaway Rim, which we could do either horse or peg or we could do it like a dunk dunk competition so i'm going to let you decide what you want to do but i just encourage you guys stick around sabo's challenge is coming up it's going to be fun i don't know i've um i've i've grown to appreciate my guests over the over the past several months with these challenges and I've been surprised by some of them, Matt Zim, when you beat me outside. You were banking your shots in from twenty feet away. But I'm a little afraid of this guy. Anthony (laughs) Santoro's got like a little bit of that competitive edge that I really like because it makes brings the best out of me. But like I feel like this could go bad if if I don't pull my game together. (laughs) So stick around. We're gonna do the sawbones challenge next. See you in a bit.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event! So here is
0: the bomb shelter. Main guy, owner, operator, Anthony. You ready? I'm let's ready, let's do it. So first time not going outside, doing the three-point competition. You picked, you want to do horse or pick?
2: Pig. Pig is good. Pig. Pig is good. Um you want to go first? You want me to go first? Your house, your rules. You go first. Let's do it.
0: Okay. So I'm gonna do some some turnaround stuff, right? First of all, I'm gonna turn the hat on. I'm
2: going <laughs> to game it,
0: <laughs> right? But I'm I'm gonna do a little bit of Kobe, a little bit of Jordan. So it, the hard part that people can't really see out there is that like you're a little bit of. I'm not trying to make excuses, but you have a little bit of an advantage here.
3: The, ceiling, <laughs> the ceiling's
0: a little low, so. I have to kind of like shoot a little bit of a flat shot. So,
1: So I don't have to repeat that shot. No. Okay. Nope, you're good. We'll go seated from right there. Oh, wow. We'll go seated
0: left handed. He is really. All right, so I'm going to do, I don't know if the camera's going to pick this one up. This is my Kareem. There's a doorway over here into the dining room area. We're going we're to take one dribble, fake to the right, come around. Whoop. I'll make that before the end of the night. So. <laughs> go. We're going to go standard free throw from the freshly painted post. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to do a little fadeaway over here. I like to bring it, go to the right, then bring it left, and bingo. <laughs> off the
2: awesome. rafters. Off the rafters, you didn't see that. <laughs> and if you want to edit any of these bad misses out, you can do that. We probably should. We're gonna go back to the free throw, so one hand a free throw with the mini ball. And we're gonna hit it. Oh boy. Here we I go. Post. Here we go. He is on the line. One hand, bingo. Bingo. Bounce free throw. We're gonna bounce the ball. Bounce free throw. Let's see.
0: All right, we're getting a little time. tricky here, so I'm going to go bounce between the legs off the board, duck.
2: Unbelievable. That's, that's been done before in this basement. <laughs> oh, the baseball guy got it. <laughs>
0: All right, we're gonna do a little hook action here again. You gotta come this way, fake, come up, over, fake. Unbelievable! That's called Kareem Sky Hook. Nothing but neck. There you go, fake. You got it. Oh! Dang! This baseball guy's got something going on here. All right, we're going back, Kobe. This time we're fading the opposite way. Fading right, fake left, go right. Oh, there it is.
1: Damn. Is that what he wanted me to do? Um, yeah, I'm just gonna do another fadeaway. I mean, I'm gonna same thing. I'm gonna fake right, come back, look at the camera,
0: fade, bingo. Uh-huh. You're missing that one. You're missing that one. Cause I looked at the fake camera. right
2: camera. Oh, okay. that's
0: a P. We got a P. I don't even think I did it the right we way. We got a P. Okay, P. That's a P. So it's gotta be precise. Ready?
2: Right. Oh! Couldn't uh-huh. quite grab it. I'll hit the, I'll we hit st- the camera.
0: I'll, I'll still try it though. I'll oh, still he's still still? going for it. I'm so, this is a Great set. See me over there? I want to do a fade away corner shot. I call this my Patrick Ewing shot, but. Going left
2: handed. Come over to the goal sign. Coming over. Bingo. oh. oh. What's gonna going to happen? One alley left-hand toss off the top of the wood, right-hand Yeah. Right. I, I feel like I was off, off the ground by a notebook. That was pretty much it.
0: Oh, I got a letter, folks. I got a letter. That's, that's, eight that's eight. a PP. He's going to the dump contest here. Oh. He likes it. I don't know if I even want to see that on video though. No. Do I have to go that direction? I yeah, got you that do whatever part. you want. I'm coming. I'm going the other way. Left hand. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Maybe off the ground for about a half a second. This is turning into a dunk competition. <laughs> <laughs> Between the legs, off the back wall. Catch it and. Little windmill, little, 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 little tomahawk. If you don't, go for the dunk.
2: <gasps> oh. <laughs> I wish I was on camera.
0: What, what, what you don't realize is number one, I didn't attempt the dunk, so I get a second shot. Number two, the wine was so close to getting knocked off. It wasn't quite the tomahawk that I wanted, but it was still... Unbelievable. Like this. Oh oh, oh! oh! I got PI. You don't have to go up this high, but what I'm going to try to do, what I'm going to try to do, I'm going to come up here, and I'm going to come under and just do a layup. Oh, god This a little Dr. J, oh. okay? So, coming from in here, is it PI? I got a P. You have PI. Okay,
2: here we go. Unbelievable. Did it go in? I actually couldn't see it. Oh! Oh. That's game. That was close. I know. Yours went right in the house. Folks. His house, his rules, his game. But go
0: to the bomb shelter. That's where you learn how
2: to hit, how to (laughs) catch, how to field. Not this. All
0: that. Yeah. Did it go in? yeah <laughs> take care hey everybody welcome back from the sawbones challenge basement version um again anthony just want to thank you for for taking the time tonight to come on um keep me from my normal routine of going to bed at eight 30 <laughs> uh, it's been a lot of fun i always enjoy hanging out with you it's always fun and and getting to know more about who you are your story and um again, I'm not just saying this because you're sitting here, but I've always had a lot of respect for you personally and professionally. You're a risk taker. I love that. And you're tremendously successful and you will continue to be, I mean, as long as you want to continue to be that entrepreneur that you are, which I think will be probably the rest of your life.
2: Yeah. Likewise. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I I do. I, I mean, I know that there's so many people that you could have on this and, you know, so many people that, you know, and, you know things of that nature, so I I do I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here.
0: I'm glad we could, we could work this out. Yeah, so salute. No so in kind of closing, I always ask my mm-hmm. guests like, if you could envision yourself, I know you're young, but five, ten years down the road, where do you see yourself, both personally and professionally?
2: Um, personally is easy. Honestly, I I just hope that I in five or ten years, I ho- I I hope that I have created a a positive impact on the baseball community in Erie. Um, I hope that people can say that uh, the bomb shelter, Anthony, Frank Frischetti, Nick Santoro, Joe's. I mean, anybody that's involved with myself or my organization, I hope that we can say that we've created a, a positive impact. Um, I, I think that, you know, by putting a, you know, putting a, a huge accomplishment ahead of that, you know, a huge personal accomplishment in terms of having a bigger building or making X amount of dollars or anything along those lines, putting that ahead of helping kids would, would just be crazy selfish. I, I just think that we, what we've started is something that has never been done here. Um, and I, I just hope that that continues to grow. So from a personal standpoint, I hope that from five to 10 years from now, we have raised the level of competition of baseball and baseball and softball. We have a huge softball component at the bomb shelter as well. Um, Honestly, that's all I, I, I can hope for, you know, that's all I can hope for from a personal standpoint.
0: Family, kids. I mean, cause I, I, I look at you as being like, yeah, I, I kind of want you to yeah. be my dad. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> almost 20 years younger than me, yeah. but like, you, so I, from, I,
2: I mean, from a personal standpoint and a family standpoint in terms of that, I, I do hope that I have kids of my own. I hope that I'm married. Um, you know, I have a beautiful girlfriend, Taylor right now. Um, I hope that things continue to work out the way that they are right now, Um, you know. And then I hope that, you know, my kids just honestly, I, I would be okay if my kids didn't play baseball. I'd be totally fine. I just want my kids to be able to grow up the way that I was brought up. I want my kids to be able to, you know, have a, you know. I think, again, I don't have kids, but I, I think that every parent's goal is to, you know, is for their kids to be further successful than they are. Right? I mean. Um, so I hope that I have kids that can just be productive members of society and, you know, uh, help people the way that we've helped people and, um, you know, just, just be good people, be door holders, right. Be, be oh, good people. Amen to that. You know what I mean, just be, be someone that, you know, can, that is willing to lend a hand to another person, you know, whether it's, you know, whether they're paying you for the service or whether they're not paying you for the service or what <laughs> have you, it really doesn't matter. Just be. One of the best quotes I've ever heard was just be a door holder. That just means so much more than holding a door. Be the person that's willing to look behind you. And even though you don't know that there's anybody behind you, um, turn your head. Don't be lazy. Turn your head and look around and see what's going on. And, you know, I don't know. I just hope that I, you know, I hope that if I do have kids, if I'm fortunate enough to have kids, if I'm fortunate enough to have kids, that they're healthy and that they um, take care of people the way that we strive to take care of people every day. That's all.
0: Beautifully said. Um, Your door holder um, story means a lot to me. I was literally, literally talking to my buddy, Travis Buzell, today about this as I was driving back from Hawking Hills, Ohio. I was just north of, uh, I don't know exactly where I was. I was just north of Polaris, uh, uh, north of Columbus. And we were heading there. And Anthony and Luca, Anthony was in the front seat. Luca was in the back. Santino came back with Karen the day before um and we were just talking about like society and how critically important it is to like teach the future generations the importance of like giving back and being respectful and this and that and just like my thing for my boys is like leaving the world in a better place than it is when you found it right if you're in the bathroom there's a piece of paper towel on the floor like pick it up throw it away if there's a mess here or this or that but like holding the doors for people and yeah, it's great if you get that thank you, which we all want, but if you don't get it, you at least did the right thing. And yeah. today, right after that conversation, I was very proud to say that we stopped. We had to get gas. We went to a sheets gas station and Anthony literally went up to the door and he opened it up and held it for me and Luca. I was like, thank you, Anthony. He's like, you're very welcome, dad. Then he ran inside, opened up the next door and he held it not only for me and Luca, but the next guy that was walking in who did say thank you to him, and Anthony was like, You're very welcome. So it was just like, Again, love the beautiful lessons. You have a great head on your shoulders, you're going to be tremendously successful. Um, I like to give plugs to all local businesses like Bomb Shelter. How do people get a hold of you?
2: So we are very active on social media, um, very active on social media, but honestly, word of mouth has been. I guess like any business, word of mouth has been huge for us. Um, We are, we, I do my best to, you know, sponsor and take care of any sponsorship letter that comes across our you know table. We're just talking about that with a parent tonight. Um, I, you know, if there's anybody out there that is looking for a sponsor or whole sponsorship or anything along those lines, we, we do our best to take care of everybody in that way. Um,
0: What's your phone number? What's your website?
2: Yeah, so we are we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as Bomb Shelter Indoor Cages. Uh, website is bombsheltercages.com. Uh, phone number is 315 317 0129. And we are honestly, probably, we have a very open door policy. Um, I mean, you're going to call that number. You're going to get a hold of myself, Frank Freshetti, Nick Santoro. You're going to come in and you are going to meet some of the most open-armed people you will ever meet in your entire life. Um, You're going to get a quick tour. You're going to get a, you know, probably going to mess with your kids, probably going to joke with your kids. um, And we're just going to have a ton of fun. I mean, honestly, um, majority of the kids that come in to see us are between the ages of 8 and 12. And between the ages of 8 and 12, how much better are you really going to get a kid? depends on the kid the experience that you're going to give that kid. I mean, we, I've realized that between the ages of 10 to 12 are when kids decide whether or not they want to play baseball and softball or softball. Um, so I tell my guys, my trainers, my softball girls, I don't want to be the deciding factor as to whether or not they don't want to play baseball or softball. I want to be the deciding factor as to whether they, they want to continue to play baseball or softball. I don't want to be the bad experience. I want to be the good experience, you know. And if down the road they realize they they don't want to play baseball or softball, then it is what it is. We'll shake hands. We'll, you know, bygones will be bygones and we'll move on. And, you know, they'll play another sport or they'll they'll do theater or they'll do, you know, whatever they want to do. But um, I'd like to think that we have an open door policy. The open door policy was, you know, kind of introduced to me by Joe Spano. That's a policy that we have at Mercers with Mercer's baseball, uh, with all of our athletes, all of our players, all of our recruits. Um, we don't shut anybody out. And we'll we'll train anybody, we'll train, you know, everybody. And uh whether you're good, or you're bad, you're tall, you're short, you're skinny, you're fat, it doesn't matter. We're gonna train everybody. We're gonna work with everybody and we're gonna give everybody, you know, the, the most equal opportunity that we can. So uh we encourage everybody to come see us. We you know, even if you just wanna come in and take a peek. Um it is a very you've been there. It's a friendly environment. Uh, we have a ton of fun, a lot of jokes, bust a ton of jobs and just have fun. So that's it.
0: Guys, girls, you heard it here. Um, so proud of you, Anthony, I appreciate it. keep, keep up the I appreciate great work it, man. before we close out a couple things. Um, make sure that you <clears throat> tune in, make sure that you subscribe, make sure that you submit questions, make sure that you sub, you know, submit like, Hey, I like this. I don't like that. Um, any requests that you have, and we always love our little video guests that come in and ask questions. So one that we have, Sydney, we're gonna play the video here in a little bit, but her question to me was regarding you know, PAs because she has a interest in going to physician assistant school. So here's her question, and then I will answer it right after we play it.
2: Hi, Dr. Molly, I'm Sydney Rhodes, and I am going into my senior year of high school and thinking about going to college to be a physician's assistant. And I was wondering what kind of qualities you look for in your physician's assistants that you hire.
0: So Sydney, to answer your question, um, what are the qualities that I look into when I'm looking to hire a physician assistant, or I'm just going to put a broader term on it, mid-level provider. So um, the biggest things for me are the same as what I would look for with any employee that I have. Number one is loyalty is making sure that our values, our goals are all aligned. So making sure that if I scratch your back, you're going to scratch my back. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to take care of me. We're on the same team. Um, you know, that, that's got to be first and foremost to me. Number two is making sure that you are dedicated to the process and uh, the right reason that you're doing this. And to me, it's the patient, right? So we want to always provide the best quality care that we can to our patients, to our our families of our patients, and I truly believe that we do that on a regular basis. And when you do that, the results will speak for themselves, um, whether it's, you know, more patients that you get or just the trust within the community that you that you get from providing that uh, amazing quality of care. Um, other things that I always look for is just like being happy with what you do, right? Uh, life is short. Um, I've met a lot of people that go to work, they're upset, they're short, they're this or that, they don't enjoy being there to me, if you don't enjoy being where you're at, doing what you're doing for a career, you should probably look for a new career. So um, I truly believe that for myself, for all my employees, for all my staff, but I hope that helped to answer your questions. Um, I'm super excited that you are choosing to go into the field of medicine and in particular, uh, PA studies. And um, again, applaud you with that and uh, best of luck moving forward. So Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. Have a great day.
3: So I, like you said, I grew up in Erie. I played a lot of soccer when I grew up and I actually injured myself um, playing soccer and that spurred my interest in the foot and the anatomy of the foot and stuff like that. I actually had a sustentaculum tail fracture.
0: The only thing I ever gamble on is like myself. Yeah. So like my best investment was just going all in on me mm-hmm. and knowing that like failure wasn't an option. I was going to meet a lot of roadblocks i was going to meet a lot of people trying to take me down and, and it happens daily right continues it, but like to me it was just like i know that I, i'm just not going to give up
3: as you feel it here and here in cinque terre first you feel it in your legs then you feel it in your belly then you feel it in your head and i'm like what do you mean he goes you hike you eat and then you drink <laughs> I, was like, I was like all right so we and it, it was you know I remember that like it was yesterday you know talking with this guy and just like your buddies basically within two minutes Yeah, you know and it, it, I'm like it, it, they're so welcoming happy to have you Um, but uh, the reason I wore these is these are actually the shoes I wore to Augusta so when we went last year I wore these shoes and so they bring back like a good i wore them actually i wore them in italy too but i mean i was thinking a little nostalgia yeah so that's kind of being a podiatrist you'd think i'd be a shoe guy i'm not you know like i'm i have a bunch of different shoes but they're all just like asics new balance you know like like i never i'm like "Eh, okay i'll pull these out and wear them you know i just pop them on (laughs)
1: get in this condition i says a hey, sa so Tell me all about it, Doc.